0: Welcome to the Property Development Book Club podcast. Please be advised that panel members are expressing their own views and opinions, which should not be construed as advice. The audience must carry out their own research and consult an appointed professional for advice.
1: Welcome to the next episode of the Property Development Book Club. And today we're talking about public and private property development. I'm your host, I'm Adawali Ademalake, and I'm joined by some amazing professionals, from all spectrums of property development. <laughs> <laughs> so, today we'd we'll like to introduce um, Hannah. We'll start from yourself and work our way around, please.
2: So, I'm Hannah Afolabi. I'm a development director for Balfour Beauty Investments and founder of Black
0: Women in Real Estate.
3: I'm Yemi Aladrin. I am an architect and also development manager, co founder of Paradigm Network.
0: Hi, I'm Nyemu Nembe Holness. I am a regeneration manager. Um, coming from an architectural background, um, and I work on development sites across London.
4: Hi, I'm Peter George. I lead large scale regeneration projects in North London, including Ridium Water.
5: Hi, I'm Nathaniel Thomas. I'm a Principal Development Management Officer um, with some experience at East London
1: and West London. Perfect. So we're gonna start off by saying we just wanna ask the first question, which is, What are the differences between how the public sector and private sector manage development? So I will start off with Nems, if that's right, please.
0: Right. um, Difference between the public and private Private sector. sector And development. I think for us in the public sector, we, first and foremost, the most important people are are the communities that we serve. Yes. Um, So for us, it's about what are the challenges that our communities face and whatever development we're bringing forward making sure that that development brings public benefits to those communities Um, so as much as we need to make that capital receipt and that return from the sale of land uh, through development it's really important that you know our communities benefit from that so um, in terms of looking at development as a whole we like to see quality development. So that's in terms of um, the type of development that's being brought forward, uh, the community engagement that takes place in terms of the development being sustainable as well. Yeah. But it's also about making sure that those people that we are engaging with, understanding those challenges, what their needs are in terms of providing housing, providing jobs. Um, so it's about getting the right balance and then also getting that the financial return from that and making sure that that development is viable.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for that response. I think you've covered a lot of the key points from a public sector, so we're just gonna to move to the private sector. What do you think the difference is?
2: Um, <laughs> so I think um, I think it's probably slightly similar in approach, especially as you get into the larger scale um, regeneration projects, stuff that I tend to work on. Um, yes, we aren't, we aren't um, we aren't governed by the same rules, or, and we aren't public, but placemaking is very fundamental in the way we approach things, and it's not like, especially if you have a phased scheme, you have to consider the long-term establishment of that community, because not only does it ensure that your your scheme is relevant and the area is is thriving, but it it means in the longer term you are able to sell more units because you are creating the space. So there is the, the financial element, but actually that has a very social and community focused approach to it, because it means then that you're thinking about the different facets of, of your scheme and not just on a financial means. But um, fundamentally, the private sector is for profit so you have to you have to consider the financial aspect of it you need to be designing and delivering with that in mind but where you can couple that successfully with with placemaking with people I think that's where the private sector have tried have have over time managed to merge that on individual schemes it might change slightly especially where there's less of a a long term um, uh, guardianship role from the from the developer, where it is mostly around financial return, and so that's where you probably will get a much more focused bullish approach from a developer. But again, it's a pro- it's a for profit um, operation, and so that would be their finance would be their prime motivator.
1: I know I'm gonna be silly here. So you're saying that the private sector for money and the local authority for the people.
2: I mean, that's that's why you pay your taxes, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, want, no, but you want you want people. You want you want the the public sector, the like local authority, um, is supposed to govern the social social elements. Yeah. they don't just provide housing; they provide they provide Council job type. opportunities yeah. like yeah. They, they 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 build infrastructure they support education yeah. that is what the local authorities is there for so when you're in a public in your you're doing a public scheme and it's even for housing associations where it's been built around a social aspect and is again a not-for-profit you are at liberty to access cheaper or cheaper funding and and deliver things that the private sector under their for-profit banner can't do or won't yeah. do and so i think that's what that's what you want from your local authority to be a social um i, I, social I, I, I like your response i think
1: <laughs> you, you definitely touched on a lot of key points but i would like to then move over to peter for you to answer what you feel is the differences between the public and the private sectors um from that point of view
4: yeah sure so i think yeah, in the public sector they take a a broader perspective on financial outcomes mm-hmm. so a good example will be that the public sector can generate savings by having high levels of affordable housing could it reduces our temporary accommodation budget mm-hmm. but it is important to say that the, the public sector are as focused on financial outcomes as the private sector because we're not spending shareholders' money, we're spending taxpayers' monies. So we have a responsibility to ensure that we're spending that money in a way that's responsible and in a way that can kind of generate a range of returns. But I think the final point I'll make is the difference between the public and private sector on development has um, shrunk over time. And not least because there's a lot more Fluidity between people moving between those two sectors. So, you know, the teams that I manage in the public sector, for example, benefit from a wide range of backgrounds and a lot of experience from the private sector. So, we're starting to bring some of that commercial outlook from the private sector into how we do things in the public sector.
1: Yeah, now I really appreciate your response on that, and I think that. Um A key point is the way in which profit is brought back from the private sector generally want a capital receipt Mm -hmm. at the end of a project or they might do prs at market value whereas the public sector they will do something they will look over at development over a 50 year 60 year period as part of a discounted cash flow google it it's quite straightforward Mm -hmm. um and they look at it over a longer term so i feel i just thought i'd make that distinction so the next question is for nate and I would also like um, a few people to, to answer this question: Who do you feel, when we're looking at private and public sector, who gets it easier through the planning system, in your opinion? Uh, I wouldn't exactly say
5: easier in this context, but uh, I would definitely say that there is a uh, there's more pressure based upon like uh, you know if we have a, a regeneration point that, that are charged with state regeneration schemes, for example, uh, that are in-house or the in-house regeneration teams generally to deliver the best. Um, And I say that because these are schemes that go through intense rounds of kind of public consultation from a very early, Mm -hmm. very, very early stage in the development process. Um, And there is no way that that won't go through a public committee. Most uh, councils, their scheme delegation requires, um, you know, public applicants to come forwards and present this at committee and that's for full transparency so the public are aware of exactly what's going on with their money. Yeah. Um, so we will generally demand you know, high levels of affordable housing, um, the design will, expect, will be expected to be exemplary, those will go through as many pre-app rounds as, as are required, yes. um, those will go through the design review panel and those are scrutinised uh, very heavily to ensure that this is an exemplary scheme. And any um, private entity that is looking in at the borough, at the developments that we have approved from ourselves, um, know what standard they have to to get their developments up to. So I know anyone working on that side will probably say we're quite harsh on the (laughs) side. (laughs) We have probably uh, asked for quite a lot and really have pushed the boundaries. But it is simply because we're setting the standard. Mm. If this is a development that we're endorsing ourselves, it has to be the best. It can't be any less than...
1: Um, that sets the most positive precedent for anyone else coming in to the borough. Yeah, thank you so much for, for, for your response on that. Um, I'm not going to say much but I'm going to pass it over to Peter to have, it, have you got an opinion as to who you think gets it easy through planning.
4: I mean I agree a lot with what was just said. I think from my experience the public sector have a slightly higher bar to pass because there's probably the perception from some externally that um, working within the same local authority that it could potentially be easier or there might be some kind of collusion which results in planning applications having an easier passage Mm. through um, planning committees, but that's not been my experience. And I think because of that potential perception, the, the local planning authority are really rigorous and what we do um, at the local authority that I work is ensure that all planning applications that are on public land have to go through a, a public planning committee whereas on our in, under our delegated authority scheme such schemes that are promoted privately would be capable of being determined by officers but to make sure that Everything is transparent, we put everything on public land through planning committee.
1: Interesting. And I would like to then move that question over to, to Hannah. You've worked in the housing association previously, mm-hmm. you know what? for a private entity. Who do you think gets it easier?
2: It's a tough question because I think there's the balance of the heightened high scrutiny if it is a local authority led scheme just because you have to be above reproach, for sure, especially if you're doing a joint venture with like a private developer. Um, But at the same time, because it is a local authority led scheme and that information barrier that's supposed to be there between the development team and the planning of team is not necessarily always there when you need something. It means that there are, there is, there are conversations that can happen to unlock things that a developer who didn't have that relationship or the access to the development team um, would be able to do so i think any any de- like any private led scheme where the, the local authority is not involved like i i would always appoint a planning consultant who knows that lo- like the local planning authority inside and out because you need those conversations to unlock things and the benefit of doing a partnership with a local authority or the local authority being able to access the planning authority through because they work in the same building let's be honest it means that you have you have a, a greater sense of capability of unlocking and driving through a planning application and is most likely going to get approved despite the fact that there is a larger scrutiny over it so your risk even as a private developer, you we'll go into it knowing that your ri- your risk is slightly reduced if there's a partnership with a local authority.
1: So I think, what, from judging by what you're saying, and I think we, we had a very brief discussion, um, Peter, about what we what we said about um, planning permission isn't guaranteed, just yeah. for everyone's <laughs> permission. <laughs> yeah, it's not guaranteed. Yeah, whatever <laughs> sector you're are, in. Yeah. But it's very important to note that um, I think that we, we had mentioned a situation where it was a public sector application and it took one year to get a plant the section 106 mm-hmm. signed. So that in itself shows the type of challenges that could happen, whereas in a private sector, they may not get the same treatment. So I think that it's just important to note that whichever mm-hmm. sector you're, you're sitting, it's just important to note that there are challenges and benefits from either, either yeah. side. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that everyone tends to forget is the public sector do not have a right, they, they have a right to appeal, but will they ever do it? then we'll never okay. do it then. Yeah, Whereas... Yeah. So that's what perhaps wanted to Yeah, that's, that's yeah. What's what's right on, the,
5: on the back of, of um, what Hannah was saying. It's like, um, whilst it is, you know, entirely possible that those conversations could happen over the fence because you're in the same building essentially, in my personal experience, we've tried to keep things as transparent as possible. Mm-hmm. And we would treat the in-house team exactly how we would treat an external applicant. They have to run this through a pre-application. They have to, you know, go through the the PPA process. Yeah. All of those things in case. And you the, know, PPA, as a plan, the PPA. PPA means um, uh, project planning performance agreement. So okay. it's, a, it's a slightly longer pre-app process where yeah. you set uh, um, some agreed principles and set yeah. to a timeline to get planning permission granted, essentially. Okay. But that doesn't, again, you know, suggest that planning permission will one hundred percent go through. That's just your projects that you're you're sticking to. But uh, on that point, sorry. <laughs> um, you know, as a pre-app. That isn't publicly available, so there are conversations that happen where we say, actually, this is a no-go, you know, from the public side. This this has no legs, Um, and in that case, the public will never see it. It won't be presented at committee, Mm -hmm. so even though those tough conversations do happen, um, essentially the public uh, will only see the things that go to committee. And we don't want to refuse things because, again, it creates a bit of an issue. You can't really appeal against yourself. Yeah. Um, so yeah. we are only taking the best of the best.
2: Yeah. And, and you said, like, what I was just going to say is that the likelihood of a local af- planning authority refusing an application from the in-house local authority development team is a very low. And that's a very contentious issue to be in. So you probably never get to the point where you actually need to appeal because, The justice of them refusing i've seen it happen once yeah (laughs) but the application will be in there for ages before you even get to the examination because they'll be working with everyone who needs to be worked with before you get to that stage
1: yeah so i think that gives everyone a a flavor for the complexity whether you're working in the public and private sector and it's not easier for one or the other because Mm -hmm. there's everyone has different challenges Mm -hmm. but the next question i have is who cares more about creativity Mm -hmm. and design do you think it's the public sector or the private sector? Yeah. So over to you.
3: Yeah, I think it, it's really interesting because I think when we talk about um, creativity and design, looking at the point of um, view of an architect, I think many people tend to think what we're talking about is like really pretty design and um, aesthetics. what I'm looking at you. <laughs> 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 but I think good... And design kind of encompasses a whole range of things yeah. so we're talking about you know how um, the development responds to local context and character and identity um, what movement is like around the space landscaping mm-hmm. public transport and not even we're not even there talking about you know the what's inside the actual homes th- themselves so I think um, that there, there's lots to decipher when we talk about what good Design is, yeah. and I'm I'm all about facts and figures. So, um, <laughs> the an article in the Architects Journal in 2020 um, stated that the vast majority of new housing developments, both public and private, have not been built, uh, should not have been built, rather due to their shoddy design, and that was according <laughs> to the audit by the Bartlett School of. Um, Planning. Um, it went on to talk about like a further 54% the report as should have been rejected. Whoa. Looking at the planners here yes. uh, and planning <laughs> <laughs> and only built if the developer came back with significant improvements in, in the design. So I think um, a lot of the issues around good design um, until recently has been because we haven't defined what good yes. design means. Um, but you know, they there, and I think it needs to be mandated local and um, kind of central government. And that's starting to happen now when we look at things like the national planning yeah, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, policy framework and the national design code, mm-hmm. where you have checklists yeah. and, and things like that. So I think greater concentration um, will now be placed, or I think we're all seeing it mm-hmm. being based on quality and design. And I think that will start to lead to, to change. So I don't think. Personally, it's one versus the other. I think both public and private sector have had issues. Um, so you're standing issues. in the middle. <laughs> I'm standing <laughs> in the middle. You're in the middle. <laughs> Absolutely fine. Absolutely
1: fine. <laughs> How about you, Nate? What do you think? Who do you feel... Um, um, it's, it's, it's more focused about creative interior design from your... Because you would have assessed various applications. Obviously, I've worked with um, Nate in a place. I'm not going to say where. And his scrutiny on that was quite severe. <laughs> we won't talk about that. We won't <laughs> talk about that. Um, but it's, it's, it's just important to note that I would love to hear your views because you yeah. would have seen it. Because you, you you do determine major applications, you would have seen a lot of the larger developers, public and private, in many different local authorities, who do you feel has a better, better, a better handle on design and creativity? Um, I don't think there's any easy way to answer that question because when we've had
5: applications that have been submitted to us from um, our own regeneration teams, um, they have employed uh, you know private architects to do the, the work anyway. In terms of the, the scrutiny that we give it, um, it is fairly impartial, to be honest. It is, you know, at the major... Uh, kind of development scale that's going to go through the design review panel anyway which is an independent process and that's appraised by a a range of architects uh, you know public realm landscaping um, even down to the internal design of those units so in terms of what we are looking for uh, from a planner's perspective we are constantly balancing this whole decision so where you know you have something that might look slightly you know less than what you would expect we balance that whole decision on a number of factors, including kind of affordable housing, the actual quality of those internal units, the amount of family housing there is. So there's no really easy way to answer that question. But so pick one, say, pick one. <laughs> I think I want to sit in the middle. To be honest, I think it's, there's a lot of middle standards. <laughs> <there>. <laughs> <laughs> we, need, we need someone to go one way or the just other. Because just because <laughs> design is so subjective. Yeah, I it was, yeah, was going to say know, it. Like amazing. I've had. You know, architects look at a scheme and someone said that's amazing, and then
1: the next architect looks at it and says that's awful. So, yeah. you, you've, you've both said maybe, yeah? Yeah. All right, what do you think?
2: i actually going to stay with them because fundamentally it's really hard to say one way or the other because it depends on who is delivering.
0: So, you're scheme. saying maybe, basically, yeah? yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> How about you? What do you um, think? yeah. I don't know why everyone's on the fence. For me, so I. I'm an urban designer, and I, that was my role um, at Lambeth for many years. So I looked at schemes. So I think it also depends on the local authority. So certain local authorities will, help, will employ someone like I was to be an urban designer to literally scrutinise planning applications that architects have designed. So that's when it comes to the subjectivity, I guess, of, of what is good what design. What do you think out of the two? I think... As, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I also, the only thing I would
5: chime in on and say is that from the, 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 the public side of thing, we know the barrel at the back of our hand. You know, yes. we know what's gone on, we know what's been approved, we know what's been refused, we know what the standard is. You know, like your caseload alone, you know exactly what you've refused down the road, and you know what wasn't acceptable. You also have to balance the inspectorate. You know what you, was, has been appealed and allowed, what's been appealed and dismissed. You have a complete knowledge of what's gone on in your area. It's not like you know, someone's come in from another area and tried to submit an application that has no idea what's going on, and maybe only looks at the road that they're about to submit on, but not a wider kind of view. So we have to take all
1: of that into consideration. So it's so we've got we've got one, two, three, maybes. Are you going to pick one? <laughs> I have <laughs> I mean, I mean, to pick one. No, no, no.
0: You say. have
1: to pick one. You just have to. <laughs> if you're a maybe, you could be a maybe. You'd be number four, maybe. <laughs> uh, uh, uh,
2: so. It maybe you change the question say who's more aspirational with their designs. Yes. It might be it might be easier cuz Okay, who's more yeah. aspirational?
3: personally I would say private. I what agree, do you think? Yeah. I think historically maybe more private, but I think things are changing. Okay. Yeah. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I would say private are more aspirational. And that aspiration isn't always in the right direction, but yes, I'm sorry I did.
4: What do you think? I I agree with mean, I think it, you know, some people not in the industry, when they think about public housing, they might think about kind of the council estates of the sixties, mm-hmm. and they won't have a very positive view. But I think some of the council homes and council-led developments of the last few years are really ambitious and aspirational. Yeah, yeah.
5: I'd
1: agree, especially at the place where we
5: help
4: yeah. work together.
5: No, no
1: exactly. And 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 the reason I wanted, to, I'm going to plainly say, I feel that the public sector design better homes, and I'm going to give you, I'll give you two reasons. The first reason, and I'm going to be very brief on this, is that the public sector may not scrutinise the design teams, so they let them run a bit freer, whereas the private sector, they will accept good design. I'm not going to say that, but they will do it within limits that they can accept. So for that reason, I feel that, because as an example, the project that we're talking about, if you go on that road, if you look right and see the private development, and look left to art to the development that we're that i'm managing there is a clear difference yeah. in quality yeah. mm. in terms of external material yeah. the thoughtfulness yeah. you're having repeating bricks yeah. repeating mortars and yeah. different colors yeah. you will never get that in the private yeah. sector because no one would accept that yeah. Yeah. so my for that reason i feel that the aesthetically i think the private public sector deliver better homes not that's my. I
2: challenge that is because homes isn't the external face of the yeah. building, and I think as like architecturally in terms of design, like and I sh- like I always stress this with the architect, the building's great, but no one's gonna sit outside their home touching the brick. People want to make sure that the space public inside... sector homes are bigger. Wait, <laughs> the home, but it's just, it's not just about the size; it's about yeah. usability. The usability. you no, can have like. Uh, uh, like a massive three-bed house, but is it actually usable? usable yeah. Is it Does, does it, it actually feel well, comfortable? Uh, yeah. And I think it's about stress testing also the space inside and not just the external facade. So, yeah. I, to some extent, I agree in terms of that like there's more there's more freeness to explore the architectural expression within the public sector, but yeah. I think there's a balance as well about sometimes architects do need that challenge to almost bring out the, the best no I, I would
1: agree
4: so at least we've and, and thank you for for opening up that because now we've actually got different opinions but oh yeah, you've got something to say yeah <laughs> just just to add on this i think in my experience um public sector led design teams are more likely to retain the design team throughout the reba plan mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and what can often happen is where you change architects at say Reba stage three, four, once you've got planning permission, you, you you replace the original design team with architects who are not are not, because they just joined, invested mm-hmm. in the original yeah. um concepts as the architects who led it through the initial mm-hmm. Reba stages. So I think because of that the public sector more likely, in my experience, to retain the team throughout the um, scheme, and I think generally, if you retain the original architects, you end up with a better quality of housing. And yeah,
1: yeah. And, that, and that is that is very important because I know that like when you change, this, everyone wants to bring in their new flair, and that might mm. contradict what the original architects. So yeah. I, I very much agree with that. So um, the next question is, it's around if people can tell me what good examples of public and private partnerships are. So I'll start off with Nems, if that's all right. Have you got any examples of what you feel is um, a good public and private chap arrangement yeah, or we've project?
0: Got, yeah, a recent one. So over the last nine months, um, we were going through a procurement process to find the right delivery partner for two council-owned sites. Um, and can I say who the developer is?
1: If it's public, go ahead. Okay, yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> London Square, we're partnering with them. Um, just going through you know the development agreement and and finalizing the contract Um, and I think this is a really good example of a partnership between a local authority and a private developer Mm -hmm. in terms of them understanding the requirements um, for this for the sites and what we were trying to achieve and the objectives that we were trying to achieve and how they have met all of them and in particular they are providing 50% affordable housing, which we're really, really proud of. And that is something that they understood from the outset the need. Mm-hmm. And they understood the challenges in terms of EDI and community engagement. So they had a really um, robust and innovative way of engaging with our community. So, yeah, we're really looking forward to kind of working with them in partnership in delivering um 240 new hosts That's a lot. um 6500 square meters of commercial space um, on two prime sites um, in lambeth
3: tune in to the property development book club make sure you like share subscribe i don't want no slackers
1: yeah. i'm adeweli ademalake founder at a lake which specializes in property development and development management we are sponsoring the first season of the property development book club podcast which will be out on all platforms soon so you raise a very good point there Nems around um, the public and private sector and I just wanted to add to all of our private developers it's very important that you spend time listening um, to or reading the bids understanding what the public sector want which is affordable housing great placemaking, and also to work with their community so that's just a general point from me but I would like to then ask that question to Hannah what do you feel um, is a good example of public and private development partnerships
2: i think there's so many examples now as well because um, you can't deliver you can't deliver a scheme, or a large scheme let's say um, without uh something of a public Partnership involved in it, yep. so that could be a Section One Hundred Six deal where mm-hmm. the affordable housing provider or HA is taking on the affordable housing, mm-hmm. and therefore you have to work with them in conjunction to to deliver that block or a, a series of blocks or housing. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if you're going into a bid for uh, public sector land, they typically want to see some form sort of partnership with a, a housing association or su- such other, and so you're working alongside them to. To deliver the vision yeah. um, of what the scheme is, and so I don't think you can go to any to any place in in at least in London now and not have. And even in the UK. In the yeah, where you yeah. don't have that kind of public uh, private partnership, and so I think where it's done well is where there is a cohesive um, understanding from both from both partners. So I've worked on a couple of joint ventures where it involves either the local authority or a housing association. Um, and or when I was working at a housing association, housing association, sorry, also involved a private a private party, either a contractor and or developer, and fundamentally, it's all about understanding each other. And so at the time, you know, um, I think it was Arcadis were doing like had joint venture consultants to help set out the shareholder agreement, so that people understood what each party were trying to mm-hmm. achieve. In the truest sense of a joint joint venture, where you have the public private partnership, and it's fifty fifty percent, we want to make sure that there is ways to establish a route to solve problems. Because, like we've been discussing, private sector have a financial aim. They have to they have to return they have they need a return on investment, not just for their equity, but for everyone who's all their funding mm-hmm. requirements that come downstream from them. Public sector need to deliver to their social ambitions, which is affordable housing, community initiatives, mm-hmm. um, jobs. Mixed and, employment, and balanced communities. Mixed and balanced communities. Yeah. And th- again, the developer needs to ensure that the scheme, as a whole, as a place, works, so that they mm-hmm. can get their returns as well. Because no one wants a bunch of empty houses. Mm-hmm. Um. So there is a there's. The, the balance is making sure that people are aligned and not every partnership will work. Mm-hmm. I'd be very clear on that. Not every public-private relationship will work. It's like it's establishing very early on that the, the joint goal, as in the financial return and the social elements can live together to deliver an amazing project because you're in bed for about 10 years with this partner.
1: So if you were to give us one development that you're oh, aware okay. of... Because so, your explanation... Is good examples of what works well, which yeah. I, I really appreciate your response. But it was, um, is you, if you can also just give an idea of what you would term or a, a, a development that you've been to, whether it's here, America, or wherever that you think is a good public and private.
2: Apart from mine, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that's it's a really hard question. I, I genuinely do think that um, it's probably most schemes that you see at like most large. I think. Kings Cross is, an, is a great example. Um, on the Olympic Park, I think the Lend-Lease and L&Q relationship mm-hmm. is an, ex- a, an amazing example, um, um, as, like, outside of my project as well, because what you what you see is the, the private sector and the public sector, and two firms who actually do know how to work together and have done it time and time again. Yeah. Similarly with P- Peabody and Hill, you know they've delivered, and the way that they, they they delivered schemes is not only in Fish Island, but they've also done it in Waltham Wolfham uh, Forest, in um, Ridge, um where they, also, they work. Yeah, where where you see repeated model as that they have continue to work together. I think that that's a clear definition of a good public part, a private yeah. partnership. I
1: like the fact that you were able to name some developments, Big <laughs> Park, and a few others, and you also named developers that work well together. Mm. Um, so just because of, um, I wanted to ask the same question to to, to Peter what you feel is a good example of public and private working together.
4: Sure, Sure. so I think just to set the kind of context around this, you know, we're still very much deep into a housing crisis and the situation has been exacerbated in, in the last year or so because we've also got a serious kind of affordability crisis that has been made worse with this kind of rampant inflation that we're seeing. So it's particularly incumbent upon um, all partners in development, particularly the public sector, to be delivering the volume of homes that the country needs. And the last time we did that as a country, post-war, was when councils were building a lot more homes than they have done in, in recent decades. It, it's ramped up a lot in the, in the last five, ten years or so, but prior to that, partly because of legislation, councils weren't really making the contribution to the level of homes that the country needs. I think, without naming a particular scheme, what I will say is where I think it works best is where the private and public sector can find an um, alignment of interest. Mm. Yes. So where the two of them can be aligned on the goals and objectives, whether it be around affordable housing, financial returns, design quality, etc., that is where the public private partnership works the best. But you know, there isn't a scheme in the country that doesn't involve some degree of public private partnership mm-hmm. because even if the private developers promoting the whole thing on their own, they ultimately need to engage with the public sector led local planning authorities. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the only way to do business is through public private partnerships.
1: Yeah, and that is an all encompassing response to say that one can't exist without the other. And I think I'm glad that you mentioned the wartime efforts after the war and the, the, the sporadic house building that was happening. So if you look at a chart, you can get this information from the ONS House, local authorities were the largest house builder yeah. at a point. Mm-hmm. Then it was private developers, then housing associations. Mm-hmm. Now, the, t- in today's world, it's now private developer, housing association, and then local authority right at mm-hmm. the bottom. So I think it's just so important to note that um everyone has a part to play in solving this housing crisis, which will, if we deliver more homes, it makes things more affordable. So I think it's just important to note that. So we're at a time when
2: <laughs> 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 hey,
1: <laughs> We're about to throw some grenades um and we just need um very um honest opinions. So the first question is the private sector is commercially focused, yes, and the public sector cannot always keep up with the private sector. Um
4: is this true or false? So Peter what do you think? So I I think it's a um an outdated um idea that the public sector can't um keep up with the private sector and i think perhaps i'll hand over to Yumi to kind of yeah. explain why from her perspective
3: yeah i think um you know historically it just hasn't been very sexy to work in the public (laughs) sector i know when i was kind of finishing studying well i wanted to work it you know with all the star architects you know be amongst it there and also in terms of understanding um, what went on in the public sector and building and construction, it wasn't really something that I was aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think of late, if I talk about um, organisations like Public Practice, they're really, um, I think the focus rather than, I guess I won't talk as much on the commercial side of things, but actually um, resource, human resource, and building capacity. Mm -hmm. When we look at organisations like Public Practice, they're all about building um, skills and capacity in planning and in development in in the public sector yeah and um that's actually how i got into my role at the moment in the meridian water team Mm -hmm. at um, enfield and the team i'm working with we're so diverse in terms of backgrounds we've Mm -hmm. got some people that have worked in the third sector like me but also the private sector we've got people that are die-hard local authority through through (laughs) and through and from all different kind of professional backgrounds uh, as well so it means that actually we've got a really rich melting pot of um, all sorts of different skills. So I completely agree with Peter. I think that's a bit of an outdated uh, approach. And I think the public sector are kind of on our way up, up, up. So we're here, we're, here, we're I'll, ready.
1: I'll challenge you on that. So you mentioned it's outdated, but you said we are on our way
3: yeah i think yeah. So So i'm not saying that no it's (laughs) updated because i think there's movement and there's change so i don't think it's a case of um us not um keeping up i think we are but i think there is a, a gap because also if we look at as we talked about pope post-war actually the majority of architects worked in the public sector so actually we're just it's a cycle we're going back to how things work yeah we are
1: we are and Mm -hmm. house builders are doing phenomenal things building a lot of homes and they're very commercial but i'm not going it's not my time to have an opinion (laughs) private sector very commercial
2: so is it the question of keeping up right yeah do you think the
1: public sector can keep up with the private sector in terms of commerciality
2: i think going back to what Yemi was saying you have to remember that after a certain point in time and the reason that graph has shifted is because local authorities lost their development rights so they couldn't deliver homes and they couldn't Mm -hmm. develop, and so became less sexy to work in the local authorities because they weren't doing what Mm -hmm. property professionals wanted wanted to do so unfortunately for the longest period of time and until just recently They couldn't keep up because they didn't have the opportunity to do so. Um, I think, um, and I think that a lot of the, especially for affordable housing, a lot of that then fell into the private sector. Mm -hmm. I think there is a a point in time now where a lot of the local authorities are getting that power back. They they have their own development corporations, and the benefit is they have the most access to land, so they should be able to keep up in the long term. But I think they're not there yet Mm. and i think that's the 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 truth of the matter is that in terms of commerciality in terms of like buying power in terms of resource the the private sector still have that over the local authority yeah Yeah, i appreciate that
1: i think that's i think that's a a a sensible response so i think that in in short i I totally agree public set private sector have to be commercial in order to get the returns yeah the public sector have to be commercial, but they also have to balance various other hats. Mm. So I feel that it's important to know that it isn't one is better than the other. We have to also appreciate that everyone has different responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone's eloquently explained the public sector will do um, infrastructure, school mm-hmm. places, yeah. everything mm-hmm. else. The private sector will just deliver housing, make a profit and move on to the next project. So I think because of that commerciality, I am, an, I'm, I am very specific in what I'm about to say. I believe that the the public sector work harder than the private sector, that's my opinion, and the reason for that is because we're balancing not only public opinion, Mm -hmm. we're balancing public scrutiny, commerciality and things, and and, and Nate you mentioned something very important around um, public sector delivering exemplar schemes, be doing that together with all the public consultation, cabinet reports and every other thing we have to go for as well as make sure it has a sensible return over the long term, it kind of means that we have to be well-rounded. But I won't say... So that is my opinion anyway, and I think we've got one more (laughs) point. And this is going to be a very quick response. And the question is, can the public sector trust the private sector? So we'll start from there. Yes.
4: Yeah. yeah. Most of the time. What do you
0: think? I'd say I'm having difficulty with trusting the <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you're having difficulties yourself? So? I would agree with
3: Naomi. Having difficulties. <laughs> yeah. Not a yes or no, but Of course difficulty. you can yeah. trust yeah. me. <laughs> of course you can.
0: For
2: sure. I mean, do do we have a choice? We have to work together. We have, we to, have, to, work to, together. have yeah, to work together. We have to trust so, each other. So, so yeah, it's
0: about you it's about the private sector demonstrating to us that they actually really do understand where we're coming from, understand exactly. the context. But and it's a partnership, so you also have to understand where the private sector are coming from. It's a
2: balance. <laughs> mm. It's not one side Ooh, like, someone's got an, an a opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I like,
5: we, we have like we have to trust them I do trust them. It's just, you know, they're been instances. I'm sure we've all come across them professionally, where that trust has been like abused in, yeah. in certain Absolutely. circumstances, where you know you feel like you've got to a point of agreement on something and there's always that, that card in the pocket that's yep. like being held away for whatever but reason. But that's happened on a number of projects I've <laughs> so yeah, It happens it both ways, both ways happens. let's be so, real, yeah, but you yeah. thought you've won
2: something yeah. and then you're like starting yeah. again. So in, in summary
1: of what we've spoken about today, we've had some amazing professionals from both the public and private sector. Um, this conversation, in my opinion, shows that there is a, a, a stronger importance for us to work together, not against each other, it's not a versus, it's an and and yeah. together. So thank you all for listening to the Property Development Book Club. I'm your host, Adewale. Look out for the next episode on Property Development Book Club.